0: Welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Guys, if you want to see me live, if you want to see some of these scientists live, you can check out Stand Up Science. Go to ShaneMoss.com to find out more Coming up, we got New York City, Woo-hoo! Washington, D.C., a special Valentine's Day show. We're going to be talking about mating behavior, a little sperm competition. Man, it's been too long since we've talked about sperm competition. What a fun subject in Washington, D.C., especially uh, great because one of my uh, favorite people on earth mike kaplan is going to be on the show he'll also be in the new york show in the scranton pennsylvania show perfect fit for the show hilarious guy so uh really really special shows there providence rhode island boston massachusetts i have stephen pinker on the show as well as Dan Everett. So we are having these amazing guests. My old uh, Boston friend, Ken Reed, is going to be on some of these New England shows. New Market, New Hampshire, Portland, Maine, Harrisburg, Virginia, Richmond, Virginia. Then in March, uh, Norfolk, Virginia, Raleigh, North Carolina, Greensboro, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Asheville, and we're adding more around this area at this time. we got Oak Ridge, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, Boulder, Colorado, Denver, Colorado. And we're adding a lot more all of the time. So keep on checking back in, especially because at the time that I'm recording this, it's at least a week before you're hearing it. And so certainly there's been more dates added to the site in that time. So please uh, please check shanemoss.com. Also Psychonautics is available for pre-order on DVD and Blu-ray and will be available for digital pre-order very soon. So keep an eye on that and enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. I'm in my hometown at the moment. I'm I'm uh, interviewing a Professor of Clinical Psychology at UWL. Ryan McKelly is joining me today. Ryan, thank you for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Me. UWL um, was so. I, I always wanted to be a comedian, and I never paid attention in school. Mm-hmm. But I I kind of got nervous before. The plan was. Right out of school. Turn 18, move to the big city, start as a stand-up comic. And then the closer I got to approaching that, the more um reality or fear or stage fright or whatever set in and the more i was like maybe i need a backup plan and i applied to uwl got yeah. rejected all right and uh so here i am making up for it i think now. you made the right choice I, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. seems <laughs> yeah. like it. yeah um so so now i'm getting my UW, uh, uwl education from you
1: we'll give you an honorary degree after this conversation. oh wonderful you can do, do that? that i don't know I to ask <laughs> why not I don't. um uh,
0: so Uh, So I was talking to you um, a a little bit about what you do. And one of the interesting things, you teach a course on masculinity. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, What is... What is masculinity? How, how do you define such a thing?
1: Well, I don't, actually. So in the in my course syllabus, like the course description at the beginning says, my goal for you at the end of this is that you'll be even more confused about gender than, than you are when you come into it. Right. Um, because, you know, I, I think oftentimes we do, at least, you know, in our culture, and I, when I say our culture, I'll talk specifically about kind of the United States or Western culture, you know, people do grow up with some pretty, you know, like black and white dichotomous views about what gender is and what it isn't. And right. so students will often come in the class with those ideas. And so my goal is to um, expand, I guess, upon them and not and not get so restrictive about what masculinity is yeah so i don't so i mean long story short i don't have an answer um I, mean, I think the way we typically think about it culturally is that it's like the opposite it's like the other of femininity but even those you know if, if you if you take if you read through history i mean even those concepts of gender have you know gone all over the place hmm. and even if you look at now and if you go cross-culturally you see it varies from place to place so um so
0: i picture like rambo in my mind as as like the stereotype of masculinity
1: sure but no, the only people over 30 are gonna know who you're talking about when you say right so if i say Is rambo my st- yeah every year i i realize that my my cultural references mean less and less than my students oh
0: so what's what's a reference these days what's uh, a manly man these days <sighs>
1: Well, see, I, I was thinking Don Draper, but even that is starting to slightly age out okay. of like the most recent couple years of students.
0: Because now, what's uh, I mean, Ryan Gosling yeah. is like sort of, but he's kind of like a, in terms of. In terms of like an action star, he's also like a little bit, he almost looks like he belongs in a boy band or something but like I, but that. But I, I so. think
1: that's kind of, I think, I think that's where we're going. I, I think that's where we're going mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, particularly with that kind of, that cisgender, white, heterosexual, young, male masculinity. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, whether well, it's Ryan Reynolds or Ryan Gosling, or, you know, I think uh, those definitely stand out. But I I will say this, I guess I, guess I get the sense that gender is more fluid with like the younger my students get. Yeah. I mean, they seem to be thinking about it in different ways than I, I certainly did in college.
0: It it seems to depend on a region a little bit. I can see too. that. Yeah. Cause absolutely. I'm from here yeah. and like, I fly back in and I'm just like, Oh, these, these are men, sure. uh, you know, still very much holding on to, you know, flying sure. to the airport. There's a lot of camouflage, uh, happening. Uh, ironically enough, Not the best way to stay hidden in an urban (laughs) environment. Like nothing could make you stick out more. Than no, wearing full camouflage,
1: or not wearing it in this part. So when we moved here ten years ago, I, I was driving up from Iowa City, and I think I stopped in Stoddard, or one of those little kind of river towns, and I you know I was getting gas, and I counted there were eleven camouflage like mesh hats and vests in this uh, um, gas station. I was the only one not in one. Right. I'm like I don't know how I'm gonna, I don't know how going to work out. <laughs> I know. Uh, but they serve a function here. I mean, I guess that's right. the difference. People, you know, people are hunting. So
0: right, uh, right. Yeah, I mean, but I I would I would say by comparison, I would be like a beta male, but then I go out to like I live in Portland, Oregon now. Sure. Very yep. progressive, celebrating yep. keep Portland weird sort of thing. Yep. And I'm I'm like a very kind of stereotypical like a macho man. Like the only well, there is like there there is like uh like a lot of like like gay lumberjacks out oh, yeah, there yeah, that yeah. like you kind of like want like, the type of dude that you definitely want with you uh, in the apocalypse. The lumbersexuals. <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. And that's. But that really goes to show you how much times are changing. Exactly. That's, like, the toughest dude in Portland now. Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, growing up, I was like, oh, my gosh. A gay right. homosexuals. Right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh,
1: and yeah. That's different. Yeah. Even here. Even a place that – and, I, you know, this is a pretty – uh, conservative with a little C, I mean, uh, you know, region for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Certainly if
0: you go outside of like, uh, you, you got, we're right in between Madison and Minneapolis, mm-hmm. uh, we're like right, uh, halfway through on the drive, but anywhere between the drive mm-hmm. between the cross and either Madison or Minneapolis, I would say is, is pretty, uh, rural. Yeah it's pretty
1: traditional yeah and that you know and back to your question about what's masculinity i mean i i think a word i would throw in there is it's relative right, right I mean, just right. like you said no matter where you go it's all it's going to be in relation to whatever else is around there mm-hmm. um and so yeah with you being a uh, super masculine in one <laughs> okay. context but right. maybe not another you know, however people define that yeah
0: so what what is uh what's kind of the importance of of uh studying masculinity um I, in the first place,
1: yeah. Um, I,
0: how, how how did you get how did you get into it? Oh,
1: that's a long story.
0: You're uh, just uh, such a manly.
1: Yeah, imagine. right. Look around. Um, I yeah, look away. I'm sitting with my legs crossed. Um, uh, in in
0: your in your pleasant family. Uh, right. Home.
1: Right. Well, I, yeah. There's a couple smidgens of you know. Yeah, this isn't some things.
0: Yeah, I guess you have like a yeah. little bit of. I mean. This is as much of a man cave as you can get when you have kids.
1: <laughs> yeah. Until you look into that room and see you the know, doll. Houses right, right, right. And stuff, right. Yeah. Um, but actually you're getting to my definition of masculinity. how did I get into it? I, I don't, I certainly didn't set out to do it growing. My story is like growing up, I had a, uh, older sister who's like two years older, younger brother, uh, one year old, uh, younger. And my parents kind of, I mean, they were st- still pretty traditional parents. I would say, you know, Midwest um, Midwest values you know, semi-religious. Um, but they, they weren't real strict on gender roles. So like my brother and I learned how to sew and we made like costumes for our little Curious George dolls. We mm-hmm. learned how to cook and bake. We also learned how to change the oil and mow the lawn. We did all those things. So in my house, I kind of, you know, I grew up thinking, and my parents' philosophy I think was like people should be able – to be self-sufficient be able to do everything and contribute in equal ways in a household now my sister did not mow the lawn so I still have a thing yeah
0: well um, it's funny because I had the exact opposite where I didn't play with like dolls or anything but I also didn't learn how to change the oil <laughs> <laughs> <And> so, <I'm, laughs> so comedy just like a lazy person yeah. I guess
1: um so I, I think I probably always was interested in gender in some way but even at that point didn't really think of it in those terms mm-hmm. um um, and, and even I wasn't even really thinking about it in college so much. Um, I, I will say my my dad was like he was like an all state running back, uh, captain of the wrestling team. He was like this, you know, big, good looking, you know, charismatic guy. And I was not that mm-hmm. uh, certainly. Um, and so there was I always had this sense of not you know maybe not being so you know super masculine, um, but it wasn't an issue. Now here here's the part I was never into spectator sports.
0: And, me either all right, all well, right. we got a
1: lot to talk about then and so i would find and i and i pretended for a long time I, i'd be in these like all-male groups you'd be out wherever at a birthday party you could, uh-huh. and then later on at a bar and i would always just try to know just enough like i'd mm-hmm. read a headline to maybe throw a line in but I, I i'm sure half the time i was calling some team in the wrong sport whatever it was right. um but I, I often felt kind of like left out of those conversations now eventually as as i got older i you know i eventually said look we're not going to have this conversation because it's just not something I'm into. And the amazing thing is if you don't have it, you talk about all kinds of other things. Yeah. Um,
0: and I mean, it is, it's like core glorified coin flipping. It seems like to me, just I'll, like I'll a very that. fanciful, like it, it, it's, it's like a very, it's, it's, I mean, it's interesting in the fact mm. that, that it's like this kind of red queen effect of just mm. like you're still ultimately just flipping a coin, but it's just like the sophistication in which you're doing it, I guess, is kind of uh interesting. But yeah, I, I never took to it.
1: I wanted to, because was that part, it's like this, it's so easy for guys to connect around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I realized over time, and as I got just more comfortable and less self-conscious about it, it's also easy for guys to connect in many other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did, and it was actually here, probably my f- first year or two, um, I did, you know, a guy who I'd never thought I'd be friends with, our wives were friends. It was kind of like, you know, yeah. give it a shot. Um, I was like, this isn't going to work, because uh, he was a big sports fan. But he, had, you know, we were hanging out and he's like, you know what, I just had a 45-minute conversation about sports with a total stranger and it was a complete waste of my time. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, h- how do you talk about other things? And then since then we've you know grown to be very close and, and talk about a lot of stuff. Um, so anyway, I know I'm, I'm getting off topic, but no, I, was, I think how, I was always aware yeah. of masculinity as this thing that I didn't feel quite connected to but I was right. interested in. And then, uh, and my first career was not in psychology. I was a management consultant in business and during the dot-com boom. And that's, I actually saw a lot of masculinity at work, and, you know, in metaph- sports metaphors and like meetings. And occasionally right. I'd have a female colleague pull me aside and be like, what did he just say? And, you know, I'd have to kind of translate. Um, and, and so I was kind of wondering about, you know, in that business world was kind of hyped up masculine as well.
0: All right, this is like a CEO meeting. Like, okay, this is a lot like when you're getting a manicure right. and <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. As I, well, I'm trying to think, and I was probably wrong it's half the time. Attention top, to, to
0: detail. Saying, yeah, what's a tee it up
1: mean and all that kind of stuff, and what's a hail mary and all that kind of right. you know, So it was, it was some of that stuff. Um, but here's where here's where things started turning for me. I, I started hearing, and this is during the age of like executive coaching. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've talked to anybody, you know, kind of about that whole professional coaching or life coaching and- thing.
0: I, I've had a couple life coaches on, you okay. know, uh, with, uh, I don't know, kind of an open skepticism. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm open to everyone's perspective. Sure. I um, my immediately, when I hear a life coach, even though I've had one, I, I think mm-hmm. she's great. And mm-hmm. I encourage people to reach out to her. When I hear the word life coach, I'm like, uh, yeah. I don't know.
1: And I had a, a, a similar reaction to it, but I was hearing, I'd hear like you know, men, you know, partners at this firm talk about, yeah, I'm working on this with my coach and, you know, talking about their professional coach. I never heard a guy saying, oh, I'm working on this with my therapist, ah, but I'd have, yeah. I'd have female colleagues be like, yeah, I'm, you know, working through some stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was pretty, I was deeply unhappy with that career choice. I, I went, to it for all the wrong reasons money was really the big one um and i learned from like day one this was not who i am you know i had no meaning to it so i had start and and i I needed some support and changing careers and so i I did see a psychologist for the first time i had some sessions and then i had a friend who was a coach at ibm and i said what's this coaching thing about and she said well why don't we try a few sessions i said all right and so we were we were doing this professional coaching Mm -hmm. and i was like this feels a lot like counseling Uh, Mm -hmm. but just maybe a different word for it and then, and then we're kind of done with our free sessions. And she's like, "Well, you want to continue?" I was like, "Sure." She's like, "It'll be two fifty a session." I was like, "No, I'm out." Right. So, I mean, yeah. it was somebody who just could not afford. Um, but that got me thinking that was my dissertation idea before I even knew I was going to graduate school. So my, my question was, what is it about this coaching thing that it's okay for men to talk about that, but they're not going to talk about therapy when when on, on the inside, it feels pretty similar. So, you know, this whole help seeking thing, that's actually kind of what, how I started in graduate school was researching men's help seeking and and Uh how to market mental health to men and all that kind of stuff. So that's really where it began. Um, and then, you know, and I, I resisted being the man therapist um, in grad school as I was doing my clinical placements, but there was a real need for it. There just weren't a lot of men. I don't know if you know this historically. In the 50s, when psychology was a lab, you know, a lab science during behaviorism with Skinner and Wass and all that stuff, it was about 70 to 80 percent male. And then as, you know, as, um, you know, women's rights in the 60s and 70s, and as we've had second, third, and fourth wave therapies develop, multicultural counseling, gender therapy, all that kind of stuff, that ratio has now switched. So yeah. now the clinical field is closer to 80-something percent female. Mm. So in graduate school, there'd be male clients asking for male therapists, and there just weren't many. Hmm. And so I started, and so I did start kind of focusing my clinical work in that area, and then my research is in that area, and my uh, other kind of interests. And so- that's a very condensed version, but when I came to UWL, um, I said I'd love to teach a, a course on masculinity sometime, and it took about five years until I eventually got the opportunity to develop it, so hmm. and now it's been going strong since.
0: Yeah, there definitely is the kind of cliche that, that ladies have their social groups and they have their, what's the most cliche thing, like a knitting party or sure, something right. like that, where they, where they share their feelings with mm-hmm. one another and... But like guys, bottle it all up and mm-hmm. keep it to themselves, and and uh, or or maybe you loosen up once in a while if you if you've had just enough drink, just and, enough, yeah. And the game net must be <laughs> on in the background, <laughs> <Right>. and so <laughs> sure. like if, if if a tear does uh, come out, you can like quick <laughs> point to the screen so <laughs> you can right. wipe it.
1: Yeah, you have to attribute it to something else.
0: So, what in your view, and your experience, uh, in your practice, what do you kind of attribute that? to uh traditions or some i mean there might be some history of some like uh i mean i i wonder how much uh in our ancestral past i wonder if it, if there was more of a need for like just aggressive type mm-hmm. of um personalities mm-hmm. in general mm-hmm.
1: uh, I, I am not i'm not one of those i'm not somebody who denies the fact that there are probably legitimate sex and gender differences that, mm-hmm. that have evolved, right? As mating strategies and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, however, our social world has evolved at a much faster pace, right. certainly than our biological one. And so the demand... So, uh, you know, biology sets the maybe sets the um, limits, kind mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, by sex or gender, depending on what term you want to use and how you're using it. Uh, but we have a lot of leeway there.
0: And we're an incredibly flexible species. Absolutely. It's, it's probably, if, if we if if we have a niche Mm -hmm. our niche is flexibility you got it and uh but but it does i mean what fascinates me is um just all of these holdovers uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh both in in evolution culturally in lifespan development we all we all have these holdovers behaviors that even just in a lifespan behaviors that were uh, useful as a child, that sure. Uh, sure. Uh, or or the traditions or whatever that you, that maybe aren't doing you a service as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder how much of human culture uh, is is just like that, where we have these kind of hold over these like almost wisdom teeth kind of psychological look things, it. where yeah. where like because certainly if like an alien anthropologist coming and looking at us now and seeing like a manly ripped like a, a let's say vin diesel for sure, another sure. a super outdated <laughs> yes, reference <yeah. laughs> right. um a flash in the pan vin <laughs> diesel reference um uh that it would seem so like the utility All right. of like big muscles and like the aggressive like outside of acting in a movie um or having like a hobby or something like that that demands bodybuilding those kinds of muscles like it it really seems quite silly most most like hyper masculine traits seem very out of place in our modern society where we need to like be good on
1: computers and stuff well, because somebody on good at computers can just fly a drone over there and zap that dude, right? right? yeah. I mean, there's the, the the kind of work that requires this, you know, massive body, you know, for defense or offense or whatever, just is not a reality for us now. And 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 whether or not there are other, you know, other, I guess, psychological um, qualities that correlate with that, right, over time, and you know, does that lead to more of this, you know, men's um, higher propensity for physical violence uh, than women's? Mm. Um,
0: Plus, their sexual selection. I mean, who knows yep. if I mean, right. ladies are still finding themselves attracted to these yep. to these traits again. Sure. Pr- I I would like to say that it's a holdover, and what they <laughs> should be after is a gangly, that's right. uh, <laughs> a six foot four, pasty guy <laughs> who <laughs> who can eat whatever he wants to without putting on weight. I mean, I think I think that's what ladies should be. Into Put it out say. there. Put it out
1: there. Well, and but I even explained to my students. Even if only 8% of women, you know, seek that, you know, big beefy trait, it will still persist, right? right? right. So, so there's always going to be variability like that. Mm-hmm. And so the question would be 10,000 years from now, you know, is it, is it going to be the gangly, you know, high metabolic, you know, whatever uh, that are selected for who knows, right, as the environment changes.
0: Today's Brief Attention Reprieve is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. They strive to make the financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. Non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. Simple and intuitive, clear design with data presented in an easy to digest way. We all need that. Remember, there is no commission fees. Other brokerages charge up to ten dollars for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees, trade stocks, and you keep all of your profits. And the design and the ease of use is absolutely crucial. Easy to understand charts and market data. Place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. So go to Robinhood. Here we are. Robinhood.com. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at Here We Are dot That's here we are dot
1: But back to what you said, I mean, the thing that we, you know makes us unique among all species is this giant brain that mm-hmm. we're capable of adapting to, to things. And so. And um,
0: you would think that's the thing that we'd be advertising more than anything else. And you do oh. that by advertising like verbal fluency yeah, sure. and big ideas sure. and that sort of thing. Sure. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, but it doesn't always seem to be the case. Maybe because we have TV, we have other ways. <sighs> we can like pay to have like someone else be entertaining sure you know, for us. sure
1: well I, and i think too the the other is you know we have all these cognitive biases that you know, you're gonna have is ha- you know because you have a brain um i do think we also tend to remember and pay attention to the extremes and so right. same thing with masculinity um and, e- and even in the even in my clinical work or even some in the research i've done on masculinity um you know people will often you know point to it and say oh yeah you know that's what masculinity is right but that's not me i mean and, and so there there is this sense that yeah i know what it is and it's over there but but it's not right, here right, right. um even though it may be here in very different ways though yeah and yeah. so I, I you know i i i love being a dad i mean it's probably one of my favorite things um and i but I, th- I think i was probably i'm probably a better dad for young kids you know i've got a we've got a middle schooler and you know and I'm like. I have a harder time kind of sorting out how to, how to be a dad in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm also like super competitive, you know. So there are ways that I, I definitely would identify and say, right. "Yeah, you know what? I, I, I identify with what was been historically masculine traits in those ways." But then I'm wearing totally pants not.
0: that are too tight for my comfort right now. <laughs> my you? girlfriend you picked super them out ones? for me, <laughs> and uh, I wear—I'll basically do whatever uh, my uh, my girlfriend tells me to do. There you go. I've just always been that way. They look good. But uh, thank you. But I but I, I still have within my mind some sort of like exemplar or something like that that, mm-hmm. that i'm uh that i'm assessing myself based on mm-hmm. um uh and and like i i went to uh i went with my girlfriend to get uh speaking of manicure pedicures she wanted to go and get one recently i was mm-hmm. like yeah i'll do it. I have to say, I didn't feel terribly comfortable. It, I, it felt like this isn't a typical man thing sure. to do. It was pleasant. And actually, it seemed like just I kind of like a waste pedicures. of money. Yeah. You're a pedicure. No, I don't like them. No, no. It seemed like it just seems like a waste. Um, I'd rather just go for a massage, but all, all this is to say is that I'm sitting here trying to say, like, I'm a, a progressive flexible person and i don't i don't buy into these stereotypes and screw these manly but i still have ideas of of things that are inside of and outside of my comfort zone yeah
1: well and i I have to give my wife credit to this metaphor i mean you know she talks about i don't know even where this came up probably 15 years ago um and i use it now so for me, gender is like a, or masculinity is like a Swiss Army knife, and because oftentimes people think of it as this either or, right? So it's this black or white dichotomous, either or. You're either very masculine or you're very feminine, mm. um, and I like to think of gender as as this Swiss Army knife. So it's like You know, right now, if I need to be stoic and keep my emotions together because my kids are terrified, I should be, you know, I I hope I can kind of, you know, whip that tool out. If over here I need to be extremely sensitive and compassionate because they were just hurt by a friend, I should be able to use that tool too. And so masculinity, it it shouldn't be, and and this is what I say with clients who are, you know, like, oh, I don't want to, you know, what if I, are you asking me to give up? all these things. I say, no, I'm not asking you to give those up, but wouldn't it be nice to learn some additional skills that you can use in different situations so you don't have to default to anger or aggression or whatever it might be. And so I think I think for me it'd be it'd, it'd be this flexible masculinity where yeah, you, you get to hold on to some things when they're adaptive and that they don't harm yourself or others. Then no harm, no foul, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, having a fireplace and chopping wood is a great activity, right? Actually, I don't even know why that's. Uh, uh, I think females uh, would enjoy I that think they just would too. as much, and and do the ones that my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying it like they don't ever. Chop. Here I am, stereotyping, right. <laughs> um, but but there, you know, that's like a traditional manly <laughs> sure, sure. thing that and, and and there's there's stuff I love camping and mm-hmm. like roughing it here mm-hmm. and there and just because the word the adjective roughing it goes uh, uh or i guess it's a verb uh roughing it uh it kind of goes along with masculinity it does, it does. um and, and but again these are like nowadays it's just like you, you can be a man for like a hobby
1: <laughs> i like that <laughs> yeah yeah
0: Today's cognitive break is brought to you by Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. Check out how it works. Just go to stitchfix.com slash here we are, and what you do, you plug in all sorts of the future's amazing. You tell them your size, what styles you like, how much you want to spend on each item. They walk you through different like fitting things, what colors you're opposed to, which colors you like the most. It's a, a fun process even just signing up and going through all of that and kind of rediscovering your own taste. And then You'll be paired with your very own personal stylist who hand picks five items to send right to your door. Then you try them on, pay only for what you love, and return the rest. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. There's no subscription required. You can sign up and receive scheduled shipments and get your fix whenever you want. Stitch Fix's styling fee is only $20, which is applied toward anything you keep from your shipment. Only $20, guys guys i have a slightly better sense of style than i used to and that's because i've gone through relationships and bickered with the person that i care about first off, do you know how expensive relationships are do you know how expensive breakups are all these things to slowly and then i went through awkward phases like in one relationship the person I was with really wanted to doll me up just way more than I was comfortable with and and that was an ongoing thing and it's took forever to just now, finally, as a 38 year old man I get some compliments on how I'm dressed and how I look these days. I figured it out along the way. I, I know some pieces. I know when a piece looks good, I sort of am figuring out how to get things that are fitted well and, and then the last piece I'm still lost on, mixing it all together, sometimes I knock it out of the park, other other times I have no idea. But for $20, they're doing all of this work for you, and there's even a setting uh, that allows you to be more adventurous or less adventurous. Sometimes you know exactly what you want, sometimes maybe you want to try something new. There's all, all these settings that allow you to do that. So... Get started now at stitchfix.com/slash here we are, and you'll get an extra twenty five percent off when you keep all of your five items. And that's stitchfix.com/slash here we are to get started today. Stitchfix.com/slash here we are. So, what in what ways when you're when you're seeing clients, in what ways would you say that um, an idea of uh, class- classical masculinity is maybe? Um getting in the way of of some of uh, some people's um, uh, lives. you say there's all of these uh, different strategies mm-hmm. that they can use. So these blind spots where they're they're either not seeing the strategies or or they're just being dismissive of like like I, I do yoga right now. Mm-hmm. this this okay. is something that was, uh, you know, 30 years ago Mm -hmm. definitely not definitely manly activity and uh i think it's absolutely fantastic and Mm -hmm. then there's there's a fair amount of men in the yoga classes typically that Mm -hmm. i um that i go to but but this is this is something that um i think was at one point in my life outside of my comfort zone sure and now i'm like I wish it never was. I I'm wish it you. was taught in school yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know how that silly gender role ever got in my head in the first place mm-hmm. and it really did me a disservice. Mm-hmm. And so I, I imagine there's a number of of um, kind of typical things like that that you see.
1: Sure. I was going to say keep up doing the yoga cuz then by 70 75 you'll be like a you'd be a great catch cuz you'll be the only functional male out there, right? <laughs> right with right. balance and yeah, all right and, and healthy.
0: Yeah, the the cigar smoking, <laughs> Clint Eastwood whiskey drinking Not guys are all yeah, they just aren't going to do it.
1: You'll outlive them. Um the thing that stands out most to me and there and there's and I I, I want to give um you know, homage to you know, people In my field and people before me, I mean, this research started during the women's movement, you know, with gender. Um, and then some of the people that I, you know, learned from and continue to learn from, you know, got started in those years as well, using a lot of this feminist critique of gender. I keep coming back to emotional restriction. Um, because there, and there's a lot of you know whether you call it hegemonic masculinity or um, toxic masculinity. He- hegemon-
0: I'm not familiar. with Yeah, so
1: he- hege- he- hegemony, you know, it's kind of like the, is like a, a dominant um, you know group of things. And mm-hmm. so when you think of traditional masculinity, hegemonic masculinity has been you know emotionally stoic and competitive and dominant and power over others and those types of things. But from a clinical perspective, the thing i've I've seen cause most harm for individuals and and I I have to say it clinically it's for myself as well, um, is having a limited emotional vocabulary. Sometimes, you know, I use the example of like a box of crayons. I, I I think a lot of a lot of boys and men, not all, you know, were kind of socialized, maybe just learning the primary colors, right? So they're adults. And if you let those be emotions, like they can identify red, green, and yellow, but then they've got their, you know, female partner or friend or coworker who can talk about burnt sienna and I mean like a thousand different shades of of red or whatever it might be. And I, and I, when I work with clients, I I, I talk about like, that's what emotions are like right now. You might only know the eight primary colors. Uh, The problem is what you're identifying as green probably is not actually you know what you're right. feeling and so let, and so then it's helping them develop a vocabulary mm-hmm. um and sometimes you, sometimes it's starting at like what they feel in their body because even the vocabulary might not even be there and it's not that they weren't born with it. I mean, we all, we all come into the world with kind of the full range of um, emotional experiences, mm-hmm. but you tend, you start to see the gender differences in, in the West, particularly in the United States, um, around kindergarten when, when they go off to school and, and you get more peer influence and things split more by gender and then friendships change and all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of boys and men might, l- you know, lose that self-awareness yeah. of, of, you know, connecting their, the way their body feels and, you know, their emotions and the way they think all those things kind of integrated. Uh, so with emotional restriction, if, if you ha- only have a limited uh, w- number of ways to experience something and you've learned maladaptive ways to deal with it, you know, whether it's anger or violence, um, then you're setting yourself up uh, for, uh, you know, d- depression, uh, externalizing your pain and hurting others, uh, substance use and abuse to the extreme, uh, suicide. Um, I mean, and so. That, I think, the emotional restriction piece, uh, I think it causes a lot of harm. And if you can't, it, you yourself, it's bad enough to, to experience it yourself, but now now put yourself in a romantic relationship or, or, or with colleagues or put yourself, you know, as a parent or when you're working with other human beings. It becomes much harder to read and understand their emotions and get confused and upset. And, you know, it, it doesn't bode well uh, over the long term for social connection either. Hmm.
0: Yeah, well, is it? is it just the case that guys just stop kind of the mindful exploration after because you start out you're you're a kid and you go this is good this is bad and then i'm sad and i'm angry and you start Mm -hmm. kind of labeling Mm -hmm. these and you have this broad set of primary colors and then you get to school and it seems like women keep on going with that exploration and then guys just kind of have this stinted growth yeah Or is it like a regress? I I guess that I guess you'd have to. I think I feel like once you're mindful of an emotional state, it sticks with you, and you and you notice it. Like once you've learned it,
1: but I I still think there's things you can get out of practice with. Mm -hmm. So here's, I've been doing administrative work. I've been a chair for the last four years. So I haven't been doing as much uh, scholarship as I normally would, but I'm shifting back into it. One thing I've not seen much research on that I'm like, particularly you know, like nerdy about right now is, um, and again, I don't have any basis other than like lived experience to, to say whether it's a phenomenon or not. Um, but I I feel like men often experience like the death of giddiness, you know? So if, if you watch, Little kids, I mean, they just—they yeah, get excited about Lucky Charms, right? And they're like jumping off the ceiling. Even boy like you just see this like joy kind mm-hmm. of expressed uh, that way. I don't see a lot of that with men. Mm-hmm. I know, I—I I don't feel like I express a lot of giddiness, mm-hmm. um, and yet I, you know, I see it in. The women i know in my life and so it's made me wonder um is that an example because we focus a lot and then i have too, on kind of the you know like the negative emotions right, like right. anger and sadness all that kind of stuff negativity bias yeah yeah but there haven't there haven't been much of focus i think on on the the, the death of joy and the death of these like this expressive happiness um,
0: yeah i guess that you're good that is like the the I'm I'm getting better and better at labeling most of like my negative <laughs> traits, which is useful. Yeah, but therapy's um,
1: good for that. I mean, I mean, and, and so is relationships. And all, I mean, there's ways that we can develop that outside of therapy.
0: But yeah, yeah I um, but but I don't, I, yeah, I, I guess I don't uh, as often. Um, I, I just say like, I'm feeling good right now rather than like uh, content or I, I don't, I can't even think of a bunch of positive sure. emotions off the top of my head.
1: Well, you, you'll have to look this up. And, and the thing that made me think about this years ago, I, you know, somebody must have sent it to me, but there's a, there's a video on YouTube of this, um, like an older couple that are, you know, presumably, you know, will be, you find out their grandparents, but they, their, their, uh, adult child does it by like decorating a bedroom and like bringing them in. And kind of like surprise, and so this is when they find out they're going to be grandparents, and you see the the mother of this, um, you know, the, the, who will be the grandma, just kind of freak out and gets all excited, and the, and the dad's kind of standing there like, oh, that's great news, and then everybody exits the room except him, and they have a camera on this this whole time just to see what the reaction was. And nobody was looking and you see him like jump up and he's clapping and he's kind of, you know, he's giddy. Yeah. And then somebody's like, Hey dad, are you okay? He's like, yeah. And he calms down and like walks out stoically. Yeah. So like that just made me think about um, like, it's sad to think whether that's something that happens to a lot of boys and men that that there's like that loss of kind of that pure joy um, that that maybe is a consequence sometime of this emotional restriction Mm -hmm. in addition to some of the other negative stuff.
0: Um, well, do you what do you think about emojis? You think emo- emojis are going to blow up the open the door for a more nuanced understanding of our of our stuff. inner world? No, you hate them. Is that what I'm gathering? I do, but I, yeah. I don't
1: have any good reason to. Yeah, um, yeah, you just hate them. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure why. I
0: I mean, it it, it, it is it is just out of boredom. You have to look through and then you have to be like oh do i feel that way right now <laughs> yeah. or in reaction to this message i don't know it just it seems it seems like uh it, it's at least it's at least showing you a bigger um crayon box
1: sure absolutely yeah. but I, i'm the wrong one to talk i am still even with texting got a i have to right com- no i don't have a foot phone <laughs> but i but i have to type in complete sentences with correct punctuation uh, yeah. so yeah
0: i'm a yeah oh uh, well I, um Hoping for LOLs there,
1: but uh, don't, I don't use know, that. I'm just I do use some emojis though. I do use some emojis, thumbs up mostly.
0: Well, what about do you? Uh, so I mean guys should be able to express themselves more what What about the other do you do you ever get any backlash with this about how like men aren't allowed to be men anymore and uh, there must be some of that too and i i mean i wonder if there is a little bit of that of like uh, men sometimes feel like they're the enemy because because there's um men are the highest perpetrators of violence mm-hmm. yeah. and, and if you look at if you're just using like the survivorship bias and you'd be like look men are in charge of the and not looking that there's uh high rates of homelessness yeah. and imprisonment in in men it, if you just look at uh, uh the top it does it does look like being the dudes living on easy street and uh and 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 I I wonder if there is this uh, because Uh, when i think about um boys in school it seems like uh uh, it seems like with, with like the, the ADHD stuff being overly, it, it, maybe, maybe it's not overly prescribed. Maybe it's prescribed <laughs> just enough. But it, <laughs> but it seems like the boy disease. Mm-hmm. It, it seems it it, to me, it seems, it seems like, I, I mean, if you take chimps and, and we're, we're certainly, uh, you know, we have these big brains and, and the, that are able to break free of a lot of these primitive behaviors, but it, it seems, and like a, uh, easy example, it seems like you have these, um, you know, female juvenile monkeys kind of paying close attention to what the mother is doing and like learning this tool making, and then mm-hmm. all the boys are kind of wrestling around and whatnot, and it seems like that just ends up balancing out over a lifespan it and does. and uh, and it, it, it is it just it, it, like boys are maybe just a little slow to mature it, maybe i'm just projecting because <laughs> i've been slow to mature uh-huh. but but it seems like we're a little hard on boys expecting them to just like be able to sit in a desk for mm-hmm. an hour mm-hmm. at a time to learn Possibly trivial uh, <laughs> <Likely>. propaganda details <laughs> about whatever history of the United States or whatever it mm-hmm. might be, and uh, I don't know. Are are we? Is there the other side of it where we're being too hard on on guys? And
1: oh, I mean, I I'm ha- happy to speak to that piece. I I usually use the example of those um those those racehorses at the like those fair you know we go to and they 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 bounce across to the finish line, um. The brain develops like that. And there are gender or sex differences in the parts of our brain that come online as we age. And so I do um, believe we eventually get there, right? Whether it's 25 or 40, um, you know, by sex, we eventually kind of get to the point where we've fully developed those things. But yeah, boys, um, ability to resist impulses comes online a little later. Than girls on average, um, and so I do think if we're designing spaces, whether, if they're education spaces that don't acknowledge that, then you know, then I do think it, it can cause potential harm. It could be you know, long term if a. You know, if a boy feels like a school's not a safe place for him, you know or he's an idiot because he can't sit there for an hour while everybody mm-hmm. else is, um, even though we might be asking something of him that his brain is not quite yet ready to handle, you give him a year, maybe he'd be okay. Um, yeah, you know, and there's a lot of you know, there's a lot of neuroscience research on this, and if you look cross culturally, we have some of the lowest rates of ADHD diagnoses in Scandinavia, where they've got where they don't start school until around seven. And so, Mm. and so there's much less of it because by then most of the boys are at a point where they're ready to be in school. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you look cross culturally, these, Mm. you know, these diagnoses aren't, I mean, they're universal in the sense that all humans experience them, but at vastly different rates, depending on what context you, you expect of children. Uh, I heard some education research saying that like, Kindergarten students now are have the same cognitive demands as first grade students twenty or thirty years ago, so the classrooms look different. And so, if we're seeing a boy gap, a boy girl gap, in, in, in at those early ages, yeah, may, maybe we're expecting things that aren't fair to expect. Mm. And so, yeah, then, then you've got, the, you know, this huge rise in ADHD medication. You know, are they medicating behavior instead of, um, you know, medicating a legitimate ne- neurological issue? Right, right. Issue?
0: It seems like something that we could pretty easily test in the future. Yeah. but I, I think, think they're think. getting
1: there. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's just, yeah, yeah. Science takes a little uh, frustrating right. time. When, right. when you're living in the moment and, and it's your kid that you're deciding yes. yeah. uh, whether to. they actually need this or if this is being over-prescribed, yep. it's, it's a little frustrating Absolutely. To wait for the research. So what about, um, what I like about this is that Because I I do think that there's like really like legitimately manly men that were like stereotypical, like action hero type dudes that were like born that way, like genetically are that way, have like more testosterone running through their, Mm -hmm. their system and are just into like old fashioned, like manly things. And that's like who they are. And I absolutely think that they would be doing themselves a disservice to be anyone different than there but when i was growing up i i felt like much uh, way too much pressure to like be that person that i absolutely wasn't Mm -hmm. and so i think it's nice to see that the world's changing or seemingly changing in a way where you don't necessarily have to strive for that captain of the football team type of thing but the the people that that you're seeing is there an even distribute because my stereotype is of that, you know, someone that even like, you know, there's a trouble with military PTSD yeah. guys that want to pull up with their bootstraps. And this is like, you know, a, a disservice to uh, to their fellow brotherhood to like be complaining and whining. Mm-hmm. They made it back. What are they complaining about? And and sucking it up. And and um, so are, are there less of those guys even having the idea occur to them in the first place to seek treatment or are you seeing more of that type or or is it more guys like me that are a little more toward the beta side is there a test uh, that oh, they, you can there, take there are a lot for, of, like, there, are alpha, a lot of there are a lot of self-report
1: there are a lot right. of self-report scales on masculinity that will tell you you know how much you conform or under or over conform to traditional masculine oh, like facebook of that.
0: will tell me what like uh, movie <laughs> <laughs> but, like what lord of the rings character sure I am sure or something like that. which
1: one are you i, I, I have know, no idea okay. i would never um do i don't like that, that. <laughs> i could send i could send you uh, a, a couple of those measures um I, I haven't seen the alpha beta ones, but the, you know there, there's conformity to masculine norms. There's uh, male genderal stress. There's gender role conflict scales. Yeah. There's uh, Bem Sex Role Inventory that you know mm-hmm. tells you masculine, feminine, di- differentiated or androgynous. Um, so those are all out there, but those change over time too, you know, based on social norms. Um, I mean,
0: are you seeing like manly guys come in when they're desperate, or are you seeing people that are just? open-minded about this stuff and like kind of kind of kind of like i was with yoga like uh, maybe I shouldn't be so mm-hmm. uh, hard on this idea. Maybe maybe I should open myself up to this idea.
1: So, the research on men's help seeking has changed a lot over the years. So, you know, it used to be that men, um, you know, weren't getting their physical health checked at significantly lower rates than women. Uh, but there's researchers in Great Britain and Australia, for whatever reason, those are two pockets where they're doing a lot of good health research with gender. They're showing that, that men aren't necessarily avoiding. Medical or physical help. However, we still see gender differences in seeking psychological support from traditional providers. So if you define it as a counselor or a social worker or a psychologist, yeah, men on average, um, providing they have access to healthcare, mental healthcare are seeking it less than women. Um, My dissertation looked at help seeking and and whether it mattered what you called it and what i found out was it didn't actually matter what you called it whether i called it coaching or called it therapy it was um that didn't matter it was the help seeking piece like that was the big barrier then we have to look at how how do we set up help seeking spaces right so um you know, if the hours don't work, if they're far away, if I don't have, uh, income and if I can't get there, I had a client who used to take a two hour bus ride to get to therapy. Like that is not accessible, right. To, to have it like that. Um, think about our expectations of what therapy is. So you and me sitting, you know, if therapy is you and me sitting like three feet away, like looking eye to eye, and that's just not how I was socialized. <laughs> to. If I would find that as a threatening or if, it, if I'd feel really awkward, um, you know, One of the questions is, is therapy antithetical to the way that a lot of boys and men have been socialized to communicate? I, I've got colleagues out east, like in New Jersey, New York, who work with um, adolescent boys, particularly um, boys of color in, in some urban centers. They don't, they don't sit in a therapy room. I mean, they'll go out and they'll, they'll walk down the street and grab a candy bar at the corner store. Or they'll, they'll shoot hoops or they'll do something. They'll take a, a walk on a the trail. They're doing a lot of side-by-side stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, some communication researchers show that if, if, um, if you sit side-by-side, like in a car or while you're playing video games, men will open up a lot more than if you had that same conversation, like face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe some of the help-seeking is that this doesn't – like yoga, this doesn't look like something that's right for me. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was middle to upper class white women right doing yoga um, in the United States, at least. Um, and that shifted a lot because, you know, I, I don't know, because words got out or, you know, there's that effect, you know, more and more people say, Hey, you should give this a shot. So with therapy, um, are things shifting? Is it different now? Yeah, certainly than it was 20, 30 years ago, there still is this help seeking barrier. I mean, still a lot of guys, I mean, I, I fought with it, even though I was like, Getting trained to be a therapist, I, I still was like, "Oh, but that's not something I I would you know would do." I mean, that's insane to think about that. Like, mm-hmm. I, here I'm. Anyway, um so there, there's a lot culturally, uh, you know, uh, uh, against men seeking help. But again, back to your original question, there for the guys I've worked with, there may be a stereotype from the outside about the guys who seek help, but when you're inside, I don't see it. Mm. I mean, I. We had this 350-pound bodybuilder who terrified everybody out, you know, walking down the street, um, but was in therapy, right, right? trying to reconnect with himself. Hmm. Um, And then certainly you see men that might be, you know, uh, better socialized for therapy and are able to communicate more verbally. Um, But not all therapy has to be kind of that, you know, traditional verbal talk therapy.
0: Well, how much of it is like it's scary to to be like – to go and seek help is admitting that you need help. Yeah. And admitting that you need help is admitting that you're vulnerable right now. That's the and V being word vulnerable yeah. is is a very scary predicament. I mean, this is like uh, if you're say financially Vulnerable, you sure. are in a, a very scary uh, position yeah. in life, and uh, and and that's kind of that uh, I think that gets associated with vulnerability in mm-hmm. in general. Yep. To be vulnerable means like you're in danger. Mm-hmm i wonder how much of it could change if it was instead of how if it was like like my I, I used to have this silly podcast we did for kicks me and my friend dave Waite had this uh riff board podcast like 50 people listened to it mm-hmm. we did it just to you were we, pioneers we were pioneers exactly go. and we did we just did like we just talked about the most like over the top like manly stuff um, possible mm-hmm. and it always ended up being like actually really therapeutic because <laughs> there was only so long you could like keep up that character sure. before it was like yeah, you know, I, I do want to be a better boyfriend. And, <laughs> and, and and I wonder if there would be some sort of like a, uh, uh, where you could market it in a certain way where it's like, yeah, I was just broing it down <laughs> with my with the with my chief uh-huh. or, or, or something like that instead of saying like mental health counselor or therapist if there was yeah. if there was like some market out there to 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 where like a a, a someone that was scared of feeling vulnerable could go and and seek support and like it's in a man cave and that sort of thing.
1: Well, I, but I've got therapists that have that as their practice. Really? That's a thing. Yeah. I got a colleague out. All my good ideas are already someone else's ideas. Oh, he's got, he's got a punching bag in his, you know, and that, but uses it and another guy has um like you know a bunch of couches with these big pillows and rackets that guys can just like s- you know pound these things and so huh. whatever whatever it takes to kind of get them to that place where they're expressing i'm laughing too because i had a i had a, a student of mine who's now a, a clinician out in milwaukee but he he did this kind of adolescent male support group at the teen center at the y and called it the bro down yeah um but you know huh. it, it it attracted some guys Cause they
0: have like bro guns. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah.
1: You throw bro and, and people just flock to it. Apparently. Yeah. Um, I will say that about the help seeking piece, I've been doing men's groups for a number of years and there, there is certainly something about it. it I have found that it's um, men are more likely to participate in that because they, they, believe, and they, it's true, that they get to help others while they're getting help. And so sometimes I use that as a, as an angle. Mm-hmm. So if I'm working with a client individually, or if it's kind of a consultation or trying to figure out what's the right thing, because maybe therapy is not the right thing. Maybe there's something else you know that might help you. But if I'm trying to get them into a, a men's group, I'll say, hey, you know, if you're just with me one-on-one you're just getting like one therapist, it's just, you know, my life, you know, but here you get seven other guys, you know, this is like a social lab. And while you're getting some support, you get to give support to seven other guys. And so... I do think if we can recast help seeking in a way to say it's also an opportunity for you to help other other guys, mm-hmm. um, I think we can we can make it more palatable. So I, and and there's probably stuff we haven't thought about that you know that might encourage.
0: Um, this will make you a better father. Yeah, sort of thing. That's yeah. like a very you know that uh, tapping into the pride. Sure. Uh,
1: yeah. Thing. Yeah. And so and other uh, colleagues of mine, you know, and and they, you know, they'll call it skill building. You know, maybe they don't call it.
0: Ah, therapy. skill building's good. Yeah. So
1: but that's kind of the you know, that's it
0: sounds like I'm going to be like uh, uh, using a saw. That's
1: right. (laughs) And maybe you are. I don't know. You're like, I I haven't been in those sessions. Maybe that's part of it. Um, But I mean, that was the move from from old psychology to positive psychology, you know, move from this deficit model to, you know, what are, what are some of the other parts about, you know, living as a human that, that are meaning making? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does therapy always just have to be out correcting deficits? Can we mm-hmm. also include, well, yeah, you're going to learn these other really useful life skills that are going to maybe make you a better employee, maybe a better manager, maybe a better partner, you know, mm-hmm. parent, whatever.
0: So it's not just that every dude needs to cry, which they probably do. Doesn't but hurt. in addition <laughs> yeah. to that, there's also the positive aspect of Absolutely. things, like every everyone wants to be a happier person, right?
1: Yeah, and and I'm even as a clinician, I don't think therapy is the right thing for everybody. I mean, not 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 everybody with a, an issue mm-hmm. needs to be in therapy. A lot of people get support from you know a religious leader or a uh, friendship group, or if sometimes a strong. comedian. A comedian okay, can really do too. a lot of, <laughs> lot of good in the world, right? Well, yeah, actually, I mean, but that's another one. So there has been you know, there's been some folks that looked at the use of humor in therapy, mm. and um, it's if if I if I'm a, if I'm a, a potential client if I'm a guy thinking about oh I'm not going to do that therapy thing because it's all serious and it's you know they're just going to make me cry and I'm so I'm not going to but um, I did a study on fathers fathers in therapy we and some colleagues in California did this nationwide survey where we asked a bunch of men who had been in therapy and then we asked therapists who work with men in therapy uh, particularly fathers to to rate what they thought were their best qualities and um, on the top five list was funny. Right. So a lot of these guys are saying, "I, you know, I, I think I'm funny or I think I have a sense of humor. But none of the therapists put that as an important quality to address in therapy. Mm. And so, yeah, if you create this space that doesn't feel natural to me, um, then I, you know, mm. then it, it has, I think, less likely you're going to make that connection. Boy, so,
0: that's a lot of pressure for a therapist. It is, like, right. On, <laughs> on top of like sure. memorizing the DSM. Sure. <laughs> uh, sure. Also right. have to. Get their joke yeah. books that's right. out. That's
1: right. But even even then, it's it's not so much that they have to be funny themselves, but you know they have to be authentic and genuine, and, and may, may create some space for if that's a way that a client, a male client, relates to to hardship or stress on the front end, that's okay. Yeah, like, you don't have to shut it out. Maybe the ultimate goal is that you don't always use, you know, humor mm-hmm. as a way to kind of, you know, deny or get around this. Um, but recognize that, like, it serves a function.
0: Um, yeah, and it's so. a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, in, in humor research, they talk yeah. a lot about this, is uh, like, the relief of tension. Yeah. Or my my friend has this uh, benign violation theory, which is the idea of, of something is either too much of a violation or too... Bon- uh, too benign, too boring okay. to be funny, but that sweet spot oh, okay. in the middle is right. so, so like yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, tickling yourself, too benign, tickled by a stranger, too much of a violation, mm-hmm. but your spouse or something. Oh, that's interesting. You. So, I like that. And so, but that's, so that's like, it's almost. Um, like if you're laughing at your problems, you're almost like realizing, like, that, okay, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You're, so you're exploring your problems, but realizing mm-hmm. that it's like in a safe way that yeah. you're hitting that sweet spot. Yeah. It, it's almost, it's almost like it, it's laughing is almost like this metal detector for like exactly where mm-hmm. you should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting.
1: Well, it kicks in your parasympathetic response. I mean, there's also a lot of physiological benefits to it too. So if you're you know, if you're if you're wound up and anxious, and you're trying to work through some of that stuff, you know, maybe it does help to to laugh a little bit at it to mm-hmm. to, to kind of self regulate.
0: I yeah, I thought you were going to. At first, I thought it was going to be like the laughing yoga or something like oh, that. Oh yeah, like that seems super annoying. I get it because once in a while, like I will do the thing yeah, yeah. where I'll like smile in front of the mirror when I'm not feeling sure very happy with life uh, for like a couple minutes until I just like God, you look like an idiot right, right. now and then. It, but it eventually like cheers me <clears throat> up a little bit because I don't know if it's. They say it's because your dumb monkey brain's like, I'm smiling right now. I must be happy. Mm-hmm. But part of me is like, I think I feel ridiculous enough to where I'm like, life is kind of ridiculous. Sure, and then that cheers me up enough. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah. Maybe I, I don't know if that's the session. I, I I in my head I pictured it as you'd go in and and the therapist would be like. <laughs> <laughs> And like force a laugh so hard. That would be awesome. Until, I think it would. I think if you make yourself la- la- laugh that ridiculously yeah, for a while, you'll eventually start laughing You will because of how ridiculous it is.
1: And and I'm smiling at this because I, I teach health psychology. <laughs> Plus you just got to see me do the most ridiculous. <laughs> that was ridiculous great. This is where you human. wish there was a camera on this. <laughs> um, I do teach, I, I do introduce, I do a session on laugh, uh, humor, health, and healing in my health psychology class. Um, and I do introduce students to that idea of laughter yoga and i mean they hate it cuz i say get out of your seats and we do it and i, I and i make an ass of myself yeah i think it's they a laugh. good
0: I, I mean i think making yourself vulnerable. of people are like cuz people always ask me about um you know how to be a comedian mm-hmm. and that sort of thing and and i always or i always tell any comic aspiring comedian to like just get out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. but if you if you can like when i'm doing things right Uh, like when things are really clicking into place in my mind is when I'm like driving in my car Mm -hmm. like laughing being outrageous and doing characters and being like as silly like if someone actually saw me doing this Mm -hmm. I would feel like such a dunce Uh, Um, but but um but that's that's usually when uh when i'm doing my best creative oh, process but huh. there's definitely something to i i've never done uh, yo uh, I, and i brought it up kind of as a goof mm-hmm. but that's but in the in much the same way that i used to think regular yoga was right. a goof i i have kind of been like i wonder if there is something i, I mean it seems i'm a comedian i'm a i'm a i'm a, I'm a, I'm a student of of laughter, yeah, it, it seems like something that I should explore at some point as a anthropological <laughs> sure, endeavor. Sure, all for science, uh, all for science. Now I'm picturing I, I, you. I don't, I don't want not to make me feel better or or to improve my <laughs> no, no, life no. in any way. That <laughs> wouldn't be very manly. Of no, me. no, no,
1: no. <laughs> but I am now picturing you up on stage doing what you just did a couple minutes ago. I, I think, might, I think maybe I will it. tomorrow night. Do it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> i, I uh, listeners i encourage all of you to just if you're in your car just do the dumbest most ridiculous laugh That's that you can as loud as you can if you're like in your way into work or something and i guarantee you you've i right now that was the dumbest possible laugh i could do and i feel better for i feel better running. for watching <laughs> it
1: it's a win-win
0: and that was a real laugh that i just had um all right well i have my guests each week uh, you're a podcast listener you actually listen to my yeah, show, that's I do. wonderful. I love it. So, I, as you know, I have my my guests each week plug a uh, nonprofit of their choice. What would you like to plug?
1: Can I plug two?
0: Of course, you can.
1: Just based on your listeners, so you know, if somebody's listening locally um, in the La Crosse, on Alaska area, in the Cooley yeah. region, um, I like to uh, donate to New Horizons Women and Children's Center uh, shelters. Um, you know, helping people get out of domestic violence situations. Mm. And I do that in part because violence is a men's issue. And so I talk a lot about that right. in my class and the importance of supporting victims in it. So that would be a nice local option. Um, if somebody's not connected to that and they're listening from somewhere else, yeah. the, the Movember Foundation. Mm-hmm. Do, they fund a lot of really good programming, a lot of um, research. Um, I've benefited from their funding to go present at an eating disorders and men conference. Um, the Movember Foundation is doing a lot of good work in funding uh, research and clinical practice and supporting boys and men. Terrific. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, okay, thanks for terrific, inviting me. This was a terrific, very manly conversation. That we <laughs> wow, had. well, this was we, a, a. We huge really honor. Wrote it down.
1: We did. Uh, <laughs> now we're gonna wrestle when the, when, the, when yeah. this turns off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this this was uh, this was. Uh, it's such important stuff. It's something that I spend a lot of ta- time time uh, thinking about and exploring. It's True. something that from uh, someone that I was uh chronically depressed maybe i'm overly diagnosing myself as but from a very a young age Mm -hmm. nine ten years old and i and i look back and a lot of it was like i had uh influential peers that that you know got in my head that like men are a certain mm-hmm. way and i tried to i spent a lot of my life trying to be something that i definitely wasn't sure. and uh and trying to like man myself up and all that and there's, i think a lot of guys go through that with the puberty and everything else yeah, yeah. and defining ourselves and uh so it's it's something that's deeply personal to me mm-hmm. and uh i think the the world would be a better place if we all toned it down a little bit absolutely and... <laughs> i cannot agree more
1: I can agree more.
0: So, uh, so I very much appreciate you being here Ryan.
1: Thanks for having me Shane.
0: And thank you listeners for being such wonderful curious people. We'll talk with you next week. Next week on the Here We Are podcast talking with Karen Frick in Milwaukee about sex steroid hormones, aging, environmental factors that all affect the hippocampus uh, affect our memory uh, dementia alzheimer's very important stuff so tune in for that please make sure and rate and review this podcast on itunes stitcher wherever you're listening make sure and subscribe and uh, that's about it guys thank you so much for listening And thank you, editor Jimmy Martin, for making the Here We Are podcast sound terrific. And thank you to the band Rebreather for the wonderful outro music. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite.